big, big deal for the kids and for us. Be sure that you're back for this. Let me mention something else to you, too. This is way in advance, um, but I'm kind of excited about this. In September, September, September. Okay, you're with me, right? September 18th, um, a special Sunday that the, the, all of the leaders of all of the different departments in the church, and there are more than you realize, are planning to be a part of the service that day, and we're going to hear vision um, from them about all of the different areas of ministries that are going on. It'll, that's an important day for our church. Make a mental note, September 18th. We don't want you to miss that. And another thing, too, that, that really is probably the most important thing I wanted to, to mention to you before I, I get into the Word today. Uh, just, you know, <clears throat> as a pastor, I, 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 I understand that to be able to stand in front of you and to ever open up God's Word and try to um, share with, it, with, with you about it is an absolute privilege for me to do this. And uh, I, I understand something. I have, I have a couple of kids who I love desperately, three kids, four kids, whatever they are. I don't know how many kids I got. <laughs> and then some grandchildren. <laughs> There's some number of children that I'm responsible to oversee. And um, I love them like crazy. And um, every once in a while, every once in a while, I get this special moment with the king with the Lord, and he lets me have just this little touch of his heart for you. And it is an amazing thing, and it just it, it sweeps over me sometimes. The way that I, that I can understand and to my puny human ability agree with the Lord for how much, how, how much he loves you. And I want you all to know that you are absolutely special to God. And I, I, um, I just, um, this isn't really something I plan to spend time on today, but if you've come to church thinking, well, I'm just going to get to church and it's a good thing for me to do and so forth, I believe you have been drawn here by the Spirit of the living God who loves you like crazy with all your warts and imperfections, <laughs> you know, with your failures and your bad attitudes and your best efforts and all that kind of stuff. You are the precious child of the creator of the universe. And um, what a privilege it is for me that he would let me stand here with you at times and share the, the word of God. I, have, I, I love this church. I love you people. I love your wonderful hearts, and I love what you're doing, especially for kids. Um, way to go on that. So, okay, I'm done with all that. Let me get to where I'm supposed to be doing here. Um, today's uh, being the 10th, I picked a proverb for you, verse 19. When words are many, sin is not absent. <laughs> But he who holds his tongue is wise. Here's, here's an, and one of the other translations that has that verse. It says, sin is not ended by multiplying words. <laughs> Every time I see a politician in the news, <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, the more you talk doesn't do away with, what, okay, whatever. All right, so uh, anyway, so today is the final week of um, our series, which I've called Temptation Escape. Um, and uh, for, for several weeks, we've been talking about the power of God to um, help us overcome addictions in our lives and, and, and troubles and, and temptations. I think all of us battle at one level or another with, um, you know, with temptation. There's, there's, there's something there that, you know, some unwanted behavior, some, something that's maybe plagued us for days or weeks or months or whatever, for maybe even generations. And so uh, the key verse that I think is so full of hope and so full of hate, hate, faith that, uh, not hate, uh, faith um, that, that Paul shares with us. And, and so it's our key verse for these, these four weeks has been 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, everybody is tempted. Everybody gets tempted. <clears throat> and God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That is a terrific promise. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. God provides a temptation escape so that you can endure it. No matter what you're facing, no matter how deep the claws kind of feel like they've gone into your thighs, you know, our God is faithful. He will always, always, always give you a way out of temptation. I, I was... Um, I was thinking this week about <clears throat> the very first time I ever lifted weights. Now, some of you were lifting weights when you were in junior high and senior high school and you had people train you how to do that. And I got through that whole time. Even though I played some sports, I never did any weightlifting. And <clears throat> so I'm a, I'm an, a grown adult man, and um, there was a guy in the church says, hey, come on over, let's lift some weights. I thought, okay. Um, <clears throat> so this guy was um, huge. And he was all muscle. And nicest guy in the world. But I mean, we're t- I'm talking about a guy that was really huge. He was a Hollywood stuntman. He, um, um, just, he, he, he worked out at times when he lived down there with Sylvester Stallone. So you kind of get an idea of the kind of serious weightlifting going on. He was, um, there's a scene where if you have seen the movie Die Hard 2, he's one of the bad guys that are in the back of the movie. He's just, he's just this buff big. Okay, this guy says to me, come on over. Let's lift some weights. I've got a gym in my basement. I said, all right. Never done that before. I didn't have any idea what was going on. And um, I didn't know how to even do a bench press, okay? I mean, that's, you lay down on your back. There's a bar. You push like this. That's a bench press. I didn't even know how to do it. Guys like to do the bench press because it makes you feel powerful or something. I don't know. So he starts me out. He says, we're going to start on the bench press. All right. Where's the bench? You know, you don't press it. You Anyway, so I'm doing it. And... Um, <laughs> He gives me this bar, and I'm thinking, okay, this is stupid. There's no weights on it. Bar weighs 45 pounds. Come on, give me some real weights. So he sticks some plates on there, and I had no idea what a mistake that was. And so anyway, he's spotting me. Now, if you've been on a bench press, if you, maybe you don't know. So you're laying on your back. The guy who is spotting you stands where your head is, and all he does is he puts his little fingertips underneath the bar. And you're doing all the work, and they're just kind of there to protect you from dropping it on your throat and killing yourself, right? And so I'm bench pressing, and I'm not, hey, it's no big deal. After about three or four reps, all of a sudden I realize these muscles have never, ever been used in my entire life. And they're complaining to me saying, what are you doing? Stop this, you know. And he can see it in my eyes, and he's doing what a good spotter will do. He'd say, hey, hey, keep going. One more. Come on, one more. And I'd do one more. And he'd say, one more. I'm thinking, you liar. I did one more. <laughs> one more. One more. And then he starts changing from the one more to the, it's all you. It's all you. And I'm thinking, it's not me. It's all you. It's just the thing. Anyway, the point is that, 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 that I, I, I'm doing this thing, and it was really at the end all him. It was all him. And the reality is that I can, for a season, resist temptation. If I decide to get after it and choose to do it, I can do it for a while, for a season. And you have the ability to withstand temptation all by yourself for maybe a little while. Eventually, though, if it keeps coming at you, and you're not prepared, and you're not prayed up, and you're not ready, you're going to find yourself in a moment of weakness where you end up doing something that you just don't want to do. You just don't want to do it. And over time, you know, as that process might happen once or twice or repeatedly in your life, like it does for most of us, you might start asking yourself the question, you know, Terry, why why are you so weak? What's, why, you know, you know, 
I didn't want to gamble, but I find myself doing it again. Why am I so weak? I, 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 I didn't want to look at that stuff again, but somehow I just get attracted to it and I'm doing it. Why am I so weak? I, I, I'm trying to eat differently, and I, but then it was homemade and it was chocolate. Why are you so weak? Asking myself these questions. Why is it that our spirit can be so willing, but our flesh is so weak? And the reason is this. We're often so weak because we haven't bonded yet with what makes us strong. We're often weak because, because we have not bonded with something that specific that makes us strong. We're weak, we're vulnerable because we're not abiding, maybe sometimes, with the vine. The vine, where we get true spiritual strength. And it's only when we're grafted into the vine that we can produce fruit. And I'm not going to go, um, you know, not of our power, but of the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And I, I think we're often weak because we haven't bonded with, with, with what makes us strong. Um, there was this um, very interesting study done um, by a guy named Bruce Alexander, who was a scientist at Simon Fraser University up in Vancouver. Um, and um, it, it's, it's commonly called the, the Rat Park Experiences. And um, he, he was a psychologist, and he was studying addictions. And, and so... Um, there was a lot of studies done this way, and back in the early 70s, I think this was probably, and you would just take a, a rat and put it in an isolation cage by itself, and in this particular experiment, they put the rat in there, and they put in two water bottles. One would be just water, and the other would be water that was either laced with cocaine or heroin, and say, hey, make your choice. And... Um, you might be surprised by this, but what happened was in that experiment where these isolated rats had no, nothing to do except choose between water and drugs, 100% of those mice would take the, the, the laced water, starve themselves to death. They would overdose and starve themselves to death, 100%. And so scientists took the, uh, the results of these studies and they said, well, there are chemical hooks in these in these substances, and you know, off we went with what became known as the, you know, you probably remember the commercials, this is your mind, this is your mind on drugs, and it was an egg frying in a pan. There's probably a lot of truth to that, okay? But it created this, this, this kind of narrow viewpoint about addiction to drugs, which was its chemical deal. And, um, and, and Bruce Alexander thought, you know, there's some other factors here. Maybe there's some other components. And, um, and, and so he thought, you know, I'm going to, take a look at this. And so he, he, the other thing he noticed was these rats were put in an isolation from everything that they would normally be. You know, they were away from every influence, good and bad. And they only had this one simple, narrow choice in life. And uh, so instead of, of just causing them to only be isolated and, and having no healthy bonds, they, they would be in this. So, so he created what he called Rat Park which is kind of like Disneyland for mice, okay? He created what's called Rat Park. And so he built this, this structure, and it had all these kind of fun things in it. It had balls to play with. It had little tunnels, cans where they could hide. It had um, um, little spinning wheels where you could spin. And by the way, there would be both genders available, boy rats, girl rats, Whatever rats wanted to do in a cage, they were free to do, and they did them. And, and so he, 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 they would have, it was Rat Disney then. And so they um, would, w- w- were in that situation, and here's what they noticed. In virtually all of the cases, in all of the cases, the rats stopped drinking the drug-laced water and drank regular water. 
Now, you might say, well, okay, that's interesting. So he kind of repeated the experiment, but before putting the rats in, he put the rats in isolation cages, forced them, didn't give them any regular water, forced them for 57 days to drink the drug-laced water. Then he put them in Rat Park. And still, all of the rats stopped drinking the drug-induced water and started drinking regular water. Interesting experiment. There was something going on there. And, 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 and okay, so you can't really repeat this kind of an experiment, but you can see what happened was that they, were have, they had the opportunity for strengthening, strengthening bonds. Something happened when they had their were returned to a normal, healthy culture and what, what had had power over them before. Now, you can't really repeat that kind of an experiment on human beings. It's not ethical, right? <laughs> but there are some similarities that have happened Here's one for you to consider, the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War, um, uh, our, our best um, counts tell us that 20% of American soldiers at Vietnam used heroin while they were there. You take them away from their happy, healthy culture, put them in a place, force them to kill people, see and do and participate in very, very difficult, hard, hard things to do, and... It's no surprise that some of them found escape by using heroin. Okay, so the concern was, well, we're going to have these trained killers who are junkies coming back to the United States. 20%, when you think of how many soldiers we sent over there, a couple hundred thousand, I don't know how many, a million, a lot of soldiers went over there. 20% is a lot. So there was, it was a legitimate concern. But what did science tell us? It told us this, that of those who had used heroin when they were in Vietnam and came back, 95% of them just stopped. They just stopped using heroin. No withdrawal. None of that stuff that you would see is all of a sudden when they were put back into a place where there was an opportunity for healthy bonds, the addictions were affected in a major way. This was like a scientific breakthrough on the science of uh, the study of of addictions, because what it indicates, one of the things it indicates is when we do not bond with that which makes us strong, we're incredibly vulnerable to destructive, to, to wrong desires. But when we do bond with things that make us healthy and make us strong, we're significantly more resistant to the addictions that tend to pull us down. Anytime I'm more vulnerable to the things that my flesh desires... It's because I'm less connected to the things that make me strong. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. You know, as a pastor, you know, we like to, we like to tell people about God, and, you know, we kind of like to do that, right? You know that about us, right? Okay. That's a fair disclosure comment. So one of the things that we love is when somebody would come up to us and ask us a question like, you know, you know, what do I do to get spiritually stronger? You know, what do I do? Do you get, thank you for asking that question. I love that. You know, what do you do to get spiritually stronger? And, and last, <laughs> we studied last week about, about this. We studied about the fact that what you feed grows and what you starve dies. We talked about starving last week, our fleshy nature. And, and today I want to talk to you about how to feed your spirit. I want to talk to you today about three ways to feed your spirit because we, we want our spirits connected to what makes us strong and um, because we know that our flesh is weak, we know that we're vulnerable, and um, I, I can be strong for a while. I can be strong for a while, but there's going to become, there will become a moment when I'm not as strong as I was. Now, I want to say this. Um, if you are not a follower of Jesus, these three points are going to seem foolish to you. 
you're going to look at that and go, you know, what a waste of time. You're stupid, and I don't like your shirt. You know, you can say those things, and it's fine. Um, <laughs> but um, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, then I think you'll need to agree, you will agree, that these three things are absolutely essential for your spiritual strength and for your survival. So now before I get into the three things, though, I just want to make a suggestion because just as a student of, you know, human nature, um, I'm going to, I just think this, I think of these three points, I'm going to ask you just to pick one. Just choose one of these and make that your focus. Because I think if you try to do all three of these all the time, right away, out the gate, I think you'll do none of them. I think it's, it'd be overwhelming. So I think as we go down through this, and I think if you ask God, which one of these three maybe, Lord, would you like me to start with? I think he'll show you that, and, 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 and then you'll be able to connect with, with that area. You know, what, one, what one area of focus, you know, I'll, maybe I'll ask this again later in the message to help you kind of get some focus, but what one area, God, would you want me to pursue most? And then the reason to do that is so that we can be spiritually strong and able to withstand some of those weaker moments of our flesh. So how do you, how do you uh, feed your spirit to become spiritually strong? Number one, feed your spirit with prayer. Feed your spirit with intimacy with God in prayer. Why? Because exercising your body makes strong, just like exercising your body will make you strong, exercising um, with prayer will make your spirit strong. In fact, Jesus taught this in Matthew 26. Here are some of Jesus' words. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He says to watch and pray and pray and pray. And he taught, when when he was leading his disciples, um, uh, he taught them how to pray. He said, here's one of the ways that you pray. And you know this as an excerpt from the Lord's Prayer. He said, you know, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me. Lead me not. So he's praying, lead me not into temptation and, and deliver me and free me from evil, God, because prayer is a great weapon against temptation that strengthens your spirit. I mean, we have human expressions, you know, I think we say things like, well, I, you know, I fell into sin or he fell into immorality. You don't hear very many people make the comment, hey, I, I fell into righteousness you know, I didn't do that. I mean, have you ever heard anybody's, you know, I tripped up and I face planted into holiness. I can hardly believe you do not hear that. You hear, I fell. It just doesn't happen. You, you trip and you fall into temptation. And righteousness, though, is only, only through an intentional pursuit you find righteousness. It's only found through an intentional pursuit of the goodness of God. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Another, another point here was um, approaching the Garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus was going to go to the cross. And he knew absolutely what was coming next. And right after he you know, shared this watch pray, he, he basically talking about when you're weak, you should pray. Um, he starts, he's feeling weak, does what he says. And, and he starts praying. And here's the prayer. He says, he says Father, you know, if, 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 this, if there's some other way, could you remove this cup from me? And of course, in that cup, that cup that he's talking about is, 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 is symbolic of the cup of, of the suffering that he's going to have to face. He's saying, God, if, if there's some other way, any other way, let's do that other way than what's coming up here. 
And then he prays what I think is probably the most powerful, big, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful prayer of submission. You're not going to find a better prayer of submission than this. He says, nevertheless, God, not my will, but yours be done. And you remember week two, if you were here, we talked about, you know, when I'm submitted to God, um, when I'm not submitted to God, I'm more vulnerable to temptation. If I'm not submitted to God, but when I am submitted to God, my spirit is stronger. It's more able to withstand the temptation that comes against my flesh. God, I submit my mind to you. Give me the mind of Christ. I, I submit my eyes to you. Help me to see things the way you do. I submit my ears to you. Lord, when I hear things that are cross, that are cross grain with, with truth and with your word, help me to discern that. I submit my mouth to you. Let my mouth be an instrument of life. Don't, don't let it be something that carves into people and takes life away. Let it proclaim life and hope and joy. And, 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 and let my heart, Lord, I submit my heart to you. you scripture says that it's despitefully wicked above all else. Who, who can trust it? God, I need you in there shaping my motives. I submit myself to you, Lord, my hands, my feet, my whole life. God, and you, know, and, and you strengthen yourself and your spirit in prayer. By the way, prayer doesn't have to be you're down on your hands and your knees um, with lengthy $5 words. Prayer can be in the moment. God, help. God, this hurts. God, give me wisdom. God, help. That's... Those are prayers God loves. He's not impressed with $5 words. He made them up. (laughs) He doesn't need us to teach him vocabulary. He doesn't. There's nothing wrong with being a wordsmith. And, and, and And when you're in a moment and you want to be very precise and it helps you gain bearing to, to use words that really help define what you feel, do it. That's fine, but you don't have to do that. You need to be, when Terry prays, I want to pray authentic Terry-shaped prayers. And some of my prayers are stupid. They might sound stupid to somebody else. I might even quote a movie line to God. Sounds silly, but that's who I am. I mean, it's just the way I communicate. So be authentic, and just you don't have to do anything that you see somebody else doing. Um, and, and Okay, so, so, so prayer. You know, it could be just a moment. And I just want to say, for some of you, this is your one of the three. This is the one thing that you will be focusing on. You don't even need to listen to the next two things. I guess you can. It's okay with me. But for some of you, this is the one thing where um, the Lord will, you know, and and maybe you know that. Maybe you'll have it confirmed to you later because maybe at this point, your prayer life is, is inconsistent or, or sporadic, or you don't really have intimacy with God. Um, so this is your one, and you'll know it, that you need to build your prayer life. Strengthen your spirit in prayer. Second thing is this. You need to feed your spirit with God's word. Feed your spirit with God's word. In a minute, um, we're going to take a look at Psalm 119, which I really appreciated one of our little um, guys. Was, was his name Paul? Bo. Um, yeah, his... He was 119. I thought, yeah, that's the spirit of God. Way to go, little guy. And um, so I love that. So, Psalm 119, before I get into the actual text, um, I can hardly get in there without 
marveling because Psalm 119 is um, an acrostic poem. I'll tell you what that means if you don't know in just a minute, but I kind of like poetry. I'm kind of warped. Um, I like to read poetry. My favorite guy is a guy named Robert Service, who um, I've read to my kids growing up, The Cremation of Sam McGee, okay? If you know that poem, it's kind of a weird one to read to your kids, and I think they've, it's a pretty cool prayer. It has nothing to do with this, but I like poetry. So you get to Psalm 119, and this is an amazing passage. It's an acrostic. It has 22 stanzas. Um, I don't, doesn't want to be to turn this into an English class, but okay, it has 22 stanzas. Each stanza has eight verses. Why 22? Because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And an acrostic, the first stanza, every one of the couplets that's part of that stanza starts with the same first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Then you get to the second stanza. They all start, the first one, it's Aleph. The second one, they all start with the, le- with the letter Bet, which is the second. And it goes on through till you get to the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and the last eight couplets in that, in that 22nd stanza start with the letter Tau. It's just amazing, and it says so much. It's such a powerful, powerful, powerful um, part of Scripture. Um, you know, from the Aleph to the Tau, which would be English translation, a to, we would say A to Z, or if you were Greek, you'd say Alpha to Omega. So uh, it's just an amazing, okay, I'm amazed. I can tell you're, you know, you could give a rip. Anyway, so Psalm 119, and I love this question that David, David's the author of this. Well, he was used by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I love this question that he asks in uh, verses 9 to 11. He says this, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? What a great question. How can a young person stay on that path of purity? You notice that he gives an answer. He doesn't say in the answer to live according to what culture says. He doesn't say, you know, live according to what your friends are doing. He doesn't say live according to what you see on TV. No, he says, how do you stay pure? He says, by living according to your word. He's talking to God. Verse 10, I seek you. With all my heart, do not let me stray from your commands. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I, I, I memorized this back years ago in the King James. You know, Thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. What a prophetic, beautiful poem. Hidden, my, hidden your word into my heart. Your word. You know, that word, word, it's, there's a lot going on in the word of, in, 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 in God's word. John 1, in the beginning. Here we are in the New Testament talking about the beginning of creation, just like Genesis in the Old Testament talks about the beginning of creation. So this now is John telling about the moment of creation. It's a New Testament translation. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning case you didn't catch that. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Do you realize that the him we're talking about here is Jesus? Jesus is the creator. Okay, wow. Verse four, in him was life, and that life was light was the light of men. And listen to this sad statement. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Look around you and you'll see that's true. Verse 14, the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Here's how you know that John 1.1 in the beginning was the word. 
John was talking about Jesus because he goes on to say, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen the glory of God, the Father, through Christ Jesus, who came full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the word. And then in Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is amazing. Do you know that you study scripture, you'll find out that there is only one thing that God honors higher than his own name, and that's the word of God, the word. And when we talk about um, things like um, Ephesians chapter 6, when we talk about the full armor of God, and you go down through that list, God's word is the only offensive weapon on the list. You know, there's a helmet, it's defensive. There's a shield. It's defensive. There's a breastplate of righteousness. It's defensive. There's a belt. That's to hold your britches up. (laughs) You need that. There are shoes that are fitted. Those are defensive. The, The offensive weapon there is the sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is the word of God. It's amazing. It's the only offensive. And that's how Jesus went into spiritual battle. He used the word of God. You know, he'd, he'd been um, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's pretty hungry, and the temptations are showing up um, at that point. And uh, so this is, he uses the word of God to battle um, the, 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 the enemy, the Satan. He, he, says, he says, hey, I bet you're pretty hungry. Bunch of rocks there. Turn them into bread. Hot, warm bread with some butter on there. You could just do it. He knew Jesus could do it. And Jesus' sword, he gets it out and he says to, to the enemy, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8. And Satan goes at it again. He says, hey, why don't you throw yourself off this building because the scriptures will catch you and you won't get hurt. Or the, the angels will catch you. <laughs> scripture is good. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Scripture says that you shall not put the Lord thy God to the test, Deuteronomy 6. In fact, there, are, there is permission, one place in Scripture where God says, you can test me. Anybody know what that is? The tithe. That's the only place God says, we're not to test him in other things. And Jesus said, here's what Scripture actually says, you twister of the word. He says to the enemy, he says, and Satan finally says, you know, well, why don't you bow down and worship me? I'll give you a lot of good stuff if you'll do that. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's written, you shall serve and worship the Lord thy God, and him alone. Him alone. You hide God's word in your heart. It was tucked into Jesus' heart so that we will not sin against God. And I know, you know, the thing I hear most often on this topic is, you know, I'm just not that good at memorizing. Maybe. Maybe you're not. You know, if you play along with me for a minute. Happy birthday to... Oh, you have that memorized? Okay, all right, right, right. All right, so that was... How about, how about this one? Girls just wanna... That's pretty close. The correct answer is fun, okay, right? But you have memorized a Cindy Lauper song, which is really, really important to know. How about this one? My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Now? I think God loves it when the princess bride becomes a part of any sermon. <laughs> I think we have the ability to memorize 
more than we realize, and we can memorize things that we want to. And just, just as food strengthens your body, the living word, the word of God will strengthen your spirit. Because every now and then, you will be tempted. And you will need to draw out of your soul, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony. The revelation. I mean, there are scriptures that, you know, I am more than a conqueror. Romans. There, there are so many places, so many places where the word of God will just get down in your soul and, 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 and you'll be facing something. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5. I mean, there are so many places where scripture can just come to the surface and make a difference in that moment and lead you someplace. You know, and um, it's the sword of the spirit, scripture says, which is the word of God. That offensive weapon is actually the word of God that'll help us find our way out. Some of you, this is yours. This is your one. You're you're one of the three that you need to um, tie yourself down to um, what the Lord's going to do to help you overcome temptation. I mean, and, and the word of God's pretty available now. It's on your phone. It's there. You can read it. And if you have a smartphone, it will read it to you. And there are some great things. You know, it'll help you. Help you. It's the bread of life. It's, it's, it'll strengthen you. It'll transform your mind. And what it will do in day-to-day life, it will help you understand the, what is good and what is evil. It will help you call good, good, and evil, evil, and not what culture wants to try to get you to do now. Our culture is trying to get you to call evil good, and good evil. Do you realize that? The predominant value in our culture today is tolerance. It's not truth. It's tolerance. And the word of God is what will, will help you do that. So, some of you may be trying to, to live a, a, a victorious Christian life, but you're doing it without an offensive weapon. That's the word of God. We need to feed on his word. It'll strengthen you. So one, feed, feed our spirit with prayer. Two, with the word of God. Three, feed your spirit with the right people. <laughs> I mean, First Corinthians, and Paul here is very direct. He's not politically correct at all. He just told, does not hold back his punches. He's just out with it. He says, verse 33, do not be misled, which, by the way, Paul is warning us because it's very easy for us to be misled, you know. And on the topic of people, you are being misled if you're believing that hanging with the wrong people does not impact you. That's, you know, the reality is that they could be taking you down spiritually. And um, it's, he's telling us here, don't be misled. And he goes on to say, bad company corrupts good character. Verse 34, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. He's saying, don't go there. Stay a long ways away from it. Stay, you know, stop hanging out with the wrong people, letting them bring you down so that you end up getting caught up into things that'll destroy your life. We have to understand that hanging out with, with the wrong people will never, ever lead you to doing the right things. It just doesn't. Some of you might need a friendship upgrade. You might, you know. Now, don't say to them, you know, you know sorry, you don't make the cut. I'm replacing you with a better model. You do not say that <laughs> to somebody. But the truth is that you may be at a place or maybe headed towards a place where you need to change your friends. You know, if, if, you, if you struggle with alcohol, 
you ought not to be spending time with your friends whose primary purpose in life is to go bar hopping. It's just not wise. If you're, if you're trying to overcome um, an addiction to sugar, you don't want to hang out with people who spend all their time in the bakery section. <laughs> they got good stuff there that you're, you know, Boston cream pies. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about that. I'm going to drop my membership in the donut of the month club, I think. <laughs> so it might be time to find some new friends, you know. And here's the thing. This, this is not meant to be, this is just meant to help you, and that's that you're not going to find the right kind of friends in the same kinds of places you found your last group of friends who aren't right for you. You have to decide where you look. It's really critical for um, a healthy and a victorious life following Christ to, to be around people who will sharpen us and will shape us and um, who will love us with the truth. People who, who care about you enough to actually tell you the truth and um, tell it like it is. In fact, you know, maybe, maybe you've already developed, and, and I, the key word here is develop. Maybe you've already developed a friend or two like that, that, you know, that'll tell you the truth when you need to hear it. But, but, but the truth, the, the sad truth is that those kinds of relationships are really rare. They really are. Which is probably a significant wa- reason why a lot of people get into trouble, you know, because sin grows best in the dark. And when people don't have friends that will tell them the truth, sin grows there. There's just something about developing a history with somebody, you know, a, um, a trust with someone that you can actually go to and say, you know, here's, here's what I almost did. Here's, here's what I was thinking about, and I, I it was so close, or, or hey, I fell, and, and help. Somebody who loves you enough to say, you know what? That's the second time in the last couple of months, and it's time for us to get this together. And, and you've you got to make some changes, and I want to know how. Someone who loves you enough to hold your feet to that kind of loving fire. Faithful are the, the wounds of a friend, Scripture says. It says to look out for the kisses of an enemy. And, um, you know, but it needs to be someone who says, you know, I'm not going to judge you in this. I'm just going to say, hey, this is, this is where light is. Let's walk that direction. And they care lovingly enough in the name of Jesus to say, you know, to both to do two things, to restore you and to hold you accountable in love at the same time. It's us intentionally choosing to be bonded with people who will make us strong. And some of, of us, maybe some of you, are lacking any real depth in relationships where there is spiritual community. Maybe not just friendships, but where you go. I mean, church is not a place you go to. Church is, is it's the body of Christ. It's, it's a family. And we are incredibly vulnerable without each other. We really are. We're strengthened when we worship together. We're, we're strengthened up strengthen when we just open up with each other and care about each other, even over something as simple as cookies and coffee after church. That makes a difference. We're strengthened when we do life together. I mean, I can tell you, you know, personally, for me, before I was a Jesus follower, I, I knew how to serve myself. I, I knew how to look out for my own desires. Pretty good at it. And if I hadn't learned, you know, I, I had not learned, actually, to hunger after God by prayer. I didn't like to pray. 
hadn't learned to pray, hadn't learned to, to know God intimately, to, to, to use those times of prayer to hear him speaking to me. Hadn't learned that. I didn't feed my, and I didn't feed my spirit with his word daily. I didn't. And as cocky as I was, it was pretty rare that I would let anybody speak into my life. <laughs> and I can tell you, standing here today, that if I didn't allow, if I didn't know God through prayer, if I didn't, if I didn't spend time in intimacy with God, feeding on his word, if I, if I didn't have certain close relationships, people, you know, I, I have a small group that, that we're a part of. I mean, by the way, you don't have to have the church organize a small group for you. You just say to somebody, hey, let's have a meal together once a month and build each other up. If I didn't have a small group, if I didn't have people who could speak into my life and kick my tail when my, my tail needs kicking, I, I wouldn't be able to stand and lead. I, I wouldn't. I, I, I mean, I, I would be a casualty. I would have done something destructive. I would be divorced. I would be, you know, I would be, I wouldn't be here to be your pastor. And the reason I wouldn't do that is because, because I'm weak. I'm just, and, and I'm so grateful, God. I, I, I am, it, it's all you, God. This is an example, God. You're not, you, you are the spotter. It is all you. And I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. Everybody will be tempted. And I think we're all crazy vulnerable. A couple of moments away sometimes from doing something that you really will regret later. But here's the deal. God is faithful. He will never allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to resist it. And he will always, always, always give you a way out. Well, let's pray. God, I want to thank you for how you encourage us. And I just ask right now, Lord, for you to stir within us um, these, these ways that you want us, your kids, to grow. There are people here right now, God, that I know recognize um, it's spiritual friendship for them that they've got to work on. It's others, they realize it's your word others, they realize it's prayer. I'm going to ask you all to keep your eyes closed and just ask God, just quietly, privately, Lord, Terry says we get to just pick one for now. Is that okay with you? Which one is it? And let the Lord speak to you right now. Is it your relationships? Is it your grasp of God's word? Is it just a simple talking to God in a growing intimacy? and hearing him speak to you. I know he's speaking that to you. Lord, we hold that before you now. That thing that you have spoken to us. I know you've spoken something to every single person in, in that's hearing these words. I know you've spoken to it. Lord, God, okay. That's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But your word tells us that your strength is made perfect through our weaknesses. So we're not going to do this because we're strong. We're going to do this, Lord, with you because you are strong. So we lean into the strength of God. We lean into the spirit of God. And Lord, now we're going to fail. We confess that to you. We don't want to. The reason we are in your house today is because there's something in us that wants to be right and righteous with you. We realize we can't get there on our own. So Lord, we lean into you and we ask for strength. 
while we're praying, church, please keep your eyes closed. There are some people here who need to lean into salvation. The baptism that Pastor Seth talked about before, the only one that saves anybody is identifying with this fact. We fall short, but God loves us so much he sent his son Jesus to pay the price of our failures. So we allow that substitution to take place. We allow Christ to pay the price for our sinfulness. And we allow him to do that by recognizing it and saying we need a savior. We need God's plan for our salvation. If you've never done that before, I encourage you right this moment to open your heart to the king. All you have to do is privately say to yourself, I'm calling on you now, Jesus. I'm calling on you for salvation. Scripture promises, says, all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. So you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth. You can confess it to him right this moment. And I encourage you to tell someone else. As I interrupt this prayer with our eyes closed still, I just want to say, if you're opening your heart to the Lord, there are leaders here who will pray with you after church. Not asking you to join the church. They'll just pray with you. And there's a little packet. The ushers have it. People in the foyer will get it for you. It's just a note, a little letter from me and uh, a copy of one of the books of the New Testament. It's a gift. We encourage you just to take a minute to collect that from someone. So Lord, I want to thank you for the true, the truth that it is not up to us to battle out of temptation on our own, but that our loving God will be there along with us. In the name of Jesus. Where the Spirit